Welcome and thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. Before we begin, please take a moment to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, or Spotify. The podcast is distributed on these platforms every Friday and is included in the NAHU's weekly member-exclusive health policy newsletter, The Washington Update, giving you a head start on your weekly healthcare happy hour. Earlier this week, the Biden administration announced the release of a proposed rule to fix the family glitch, a snafu in current ACA regulations. Fixing the family glitch has been a legislative priority of NAHUs for years now. On this week's episode of the Healthcare Happy Hour, Marcy is here to discuss the family glitch, what this proposed rule would do, and how we feel about the way agencies intend to resolve the issue. So, for those who are unaware, can you briefly summarize the issue of the family glitch and why it's such an important problem to resolve? Yes. Thanks, Dan. So the family glitch has been caused by layering of interpretations from different statutes from the ACA and different regulations from the IRS and Treasury. And to get into all of that would take hours because it's regulations and rules from different years. But basically, to to summarize it, the family glitch occurs with how affordability is determined specifically for spouses and dependents of employees that are offered coverage. So currently, because of the different interpretations from these rules that I kind of referenced, if an employer offers an employee a quote-unquote affordable offer of coverage, which is currently 9.61%, but normally we talk about it as 9.5%, but it flexes on the index. But if an employer offers an employee coverage that is quote unquote affordable, so it doesn't cost the employee more than that amount, then if the employer also offers that employee's spouse or dependents coverage, regardless of how much it is, if the employee is offered what is quote unquote an affordable offer of coverage, then even if the cost for the spouse and dependents is larger than 9.5% for that family to go onto the employer plan, then the spouse and the dependents are determined to have had an affordable offer of coverage, even though it exceeds that 9.5% for them to go onto the employer plan. So the entire affordability of the spouse and dependents is determined, quote unquote, affordable, just because the employee received an affordable offer of coverage. As many of you know, when an employer offers coverage for a spouse and dependents for families, oftentimes it is quite a lot more than that 9.5%. Oftentimes they allow spouse and dependents to join the plan, but the employer doesn't offer any contributions towards those, those family members joining the employer plan. So it can be quite costly for some families to, to go in all together onto the employer's plan based on the employee's offer of coverage. The problem here is when the spouse or dependents try to go to the exchange and possibly get a subsidy dependent on what the family income is, because 
it's determined based on the employee's affordable offer of coverage, the spouse and dependents aren't able to access a subsidy on the exchange. So they're faced with the decision for that spouse and the other dependents and family members to either pay full freight on the individual market because they're not going to qualify for an exchange subsidy or to pay the cost for going onto the employer plan where the employer may not be contributing very much to the spouse and dependents, but they are providing that quote unquote affordable offer of coverage for the employee. This impacts about 5.1 million Americans. This is from some recent Urban Institute and Kaiser Health News studies, which includes mostly children and spouses that Family affordability and that affordable offer of coverage for employees also impacts children that could possibly be eligible to go on to CHIP. So this family glitch does have a a very large impact, and that's why there's so much interest in fixing the family glitch and trying to figure out um, how these other spouses and family members can obtain what is truly an affordable offer of coverage. All that being said, how does this proposed rule from the IRS seek to resolve this issue? So the proposed rule looks at that definition of affordability, where that problem lies, where it's solely based on the offer of coverage to the employee. And it would change the interpretation of the statutes that were passed and enacted during the Obama administration and allow for the definition of affordability to include the total family income so that when a spouse or dependent went to the exchange seeking to enroll in coverage and possibly receive a subsidy, the exchange would take into consideration what the offer of coverage was if they are offered coverage from the employee spouse employer. And if it's not within that 9.5% for the spouse and the family members, then they would be able to, based on their household income, apply for and receive a subsidy for the spouse and dependent coverage in the exchange. The employee spouse, if they are offered what is quote unquote, an affordable offer of coverage, which also meets minimum value, they will not be able to go to the exchange and receive a subsidy. So that's a big part that I do want to make sure folks understand that employee and their calculation for affordable offer of coverage and their ability to go to the exchange, that does not change under this. This will only impact how that test is triggered for the Um, the spouse and dependents that are not employees of the employer offering that coverage. So to use an example, under the current structure, I am an employee of NEHU and they offer me affordable coverage. I am not married, but for this example, we're going to use my dog as, (laughs) as my spouse. So Harrison We'll say he's my dog. So we'll say he works as a guard dog. He works as security somewhere (laughs) and he works part-time we'll say, and doesn't have employer sponsored coverage because he works less than 40 hours. It doesn't meet the employer mandate. So if NEHU offers me an affordable offer of coverage, so I do not pay more than 9.5% towards my coverage 
but they offer spousal coverage. So Harrison can go on to the NEHU plan. But in this example, NEHU doesn't provide any contribution towards Harrison's coverage, towards the spousal coverage. So in that example, currently, Harrison would not be able to go to the exchange and apply based on our household income. So both of our incomes together and apply for coverage and a subsidy. He could go to the exchange and apply for coverage, but he wouldn't be eligible for a subsidy because his spouse has an affordable employer offer of coverage and the employer offers coverage to the spouse, even though there's no contribution for Harrison's coverage under this example. Under the proposed rule, if the same scenario, I have my affordable offer of coverage from NEHU and they are not contributing towards Harrison or my spouse's coverage, Harrison then can go to the exchange and based on our household income and the income rates are what they're, they're saying right now are going to, to be the same, could qualify to enroll in the exchange and apply for a subsidy again, based on our household income. So that allows for a different choice for us, different options. And as we'll talk later, we'll see that this might not be the best option for all couples, for all families. This would also apply to if we had children and the NEHU plan that offers me an affordable offer of coverage doesn't contribute the same amount or doesn't contribute in a quote unquote affordable manner towards the dependents. The children could also go with Harrison or on their own to the exchange and then based on our household income, apply for and possibly qualify for a subsidy. So as we've mentioned, this has been a legislative priority of NAHUs since the existence of the family glitch was recognized. Many members always assumed a fix to this problem would come through Congress. So why are they proposing this via regulation? Fixing the family glitch is very expensive. And because of the possible increase in subsidies that will be going out amongst other things. And as you all know right now, it's very difficult getting anything through Congress, especially anything that's going to cost a lot of money. There also isn't an agreement in Congress on exactly how to fix the family glitch and whether changing this definition is truly the way to close that gap in coverage. So even though people on both sides of the aisle are very concerned about the family glitch, there is not a consensus in Congress on exactly how to do this while also trying to maintain spending. As you all know, Build Back Better is still pending, which is over a trillion dollars. And that includes extending the increase in subsidies that were in the American Rescue Plan Act. But this fix of the family glitch would extend the cost even more of how much the government is spending on subsidies. So you can see how, where if they can't even get that passed, it'd be very difficult for them to pass something that's going to add even more people onto the exchange and increase the amount of people that are qualifying for subsidies. So where Congress hasn't been able to come to an agreement on exactly how to do this, the administration has looked at what is quite possibly a very controversial approach. And it is, like I referenced earlier, reinterpreting those statutes and those rules 
from the IRS and Treasury from the early years of the ACA. And this goes back to um, rules that were released in 2011, 2013, 2014, and even one rule that was proposed in 2015 and never finalized, which this proposed rule now resends. And so it's looking at several different definitions where the affordability test hinged on the employee's offer of coverage and then extended to the family for their individual as an as a individual spouse, as an individual dependent, then extended to their definition of an affordable offer of coverage. While for some folks, this might not seem very controversial, the approach of reinterpreting a past statute to such an extent where it does make such a large change is very controversial. And we could possibly see some legal challenges to this in the coming months. So I do wanna make sure that we are pointing that out and cautioning people that while this is a proposed rule, and so of course we still have to go through all of the processes of getting to a final rule, which does include a comment period, which NEHU will be commenting on, but we are also anticipating some legal challenges based on the process of how this is happening. And some of you may remember, even within the last administration, there were challenges to some of the prescription drug rules because they didn't go through the correct processes for how a proposed rule is supposed to be released. Here, they are going through the correct process for a proposed rule. They may be violating the law and how they're reinterpreting the statute. So process is always very important and making sure that you're going through in the correct order and following the correct rules to do this. So we'll be updating you all as we see any challenges. Of course, this was released earlier this week. So I think that there are some very skilled legal teams that are going to their drawing boards right now to see what their options are in possibly challenging this. And it's not because there are entities that don't want people to obtain coverage or try to limit the offer of affordable coverage. It really is about making sure that this, the process for rulemaking is maintained and that the rule of law is upheld to the letter of the law and to make sure that, you know, this wouldn't be something else that an administration could do in the future to go back and change a past administration statute in this manner, regardless of whether it touched on healthcare or anything else. Aside from the agency's legal standing, are there any aspects of this proposed rule and the way it deals with the issue of the family glitch that we take issue with? So I wouldn't necessarily say that we take issue with it, but I would say that there are some points that we want to make sure are considered and that our members are aware of, and they fall into kind of two buckets. One is the impact on the individual market, and the other is the impact on the employer market and the impact on families. So we'll say three buckets instead of two. So when we look at the impact on families, and I mentioned earlier that the way that this is designed, it, it means that it's another option for families, for spouses and dependents. And the reason why I say it like that is because allowing, and going back to that example earlier, allowing Harrison as my spouse to go to the exchange and get a subsidy might not be the best choice for us. If we're not on the same family plan, it will change our out of 
pocket maximums. It'll change our deductible as a family, as a couple. And depending on what type of subsidy he possibly qualifies for, that could actually be more expensive for us than having him come on to my employer-sponsored plan, even though the coverage offered to him isn't quote unquote affordable. So families are really going to have to look at this and weigh their choices as to whether this is a, a viable option for them. And that's why when we look at that number that I mentioned earlier, that 5.1 million people that this will impact or that are impacted by the family glitch, when you compare that to how many people the Biden administration is saying could be newly covered under the exchange, there's a large difference in the number there. They're saying 200,000 will come into the exchange based on this change in the rule. And the reason why there's such a large difference there is because some may choose to stay on that employer plan because of that issue that I just mentioned. So they may realize that financially, it doesn't work out in their best interest to, to separate the family and to be on two different plans. Or maybe it is still more expensive for the spouse and dependents to stay on the family plan but they all want to be in the same network and be able to be seeing the same doctors. And that's more important to them to cost. There are a lot of different issues that come into play when people are making decisions about their healthcare. Cost is definitely one of them and one of the most important ones, but it isn't the only factor that folks are going to be taking into consideration when they're looking at whether they want to take advantage of this if it is finalized. This is also why agents and brokers are going to be so important in the market if this rule is finalized, because you all are the licensed professionals that are going to be able to help advise consumers about what the best choice is for them. As you can imagine, trying to do that calculation of whether it's better to go to the exchange and try to get a subsidy or go on to your employee spouse's employer-sponsored plan can be very difficult to, to calculate, to even figure out what is going to be the best choice for you financially let alone all of the other issues that you're weighing when trying to make an important decision about your health insurance coverage. So agents and brokers are going to be at the forefront to help consumers with this. And I really want to emphasize that and make sure that you all know the vital role that you'll play should this be finalized. And it's a role you're, you're already playing now, but these decisions are just going to be even more complicated should this be finalized that you're going to see more and more people seeking guidance and exactly what decisions they should be making to make sure they're in the best possible coverage for them and their family, even if it means separating the family between an employer plan and the individual market. Now, when we look at the employer market and the concerns there, one of the, the first things that were pointed out about this was that the employer mandate still remains whole. That is still in place. Also, along with the employer mandate staying in place, and I mentioned this earlier, I'm saying it again because it's very important, the employee who is offered that quote-unquote affordable offer of coverage still under the proposed rule would not be able to go to the exchange and receive a subsidy if they are offered an affordable offer of coverage from their employer. So the employee would still be required to take that affordable offer of coverage from their employer, or if they went to the exchange, 
they would have to pay full cost for that plan. They would not qualify for a subsidy there. So in that way, the employer, what we call the, the firewall is still in place, keeping those employees in their employer-sponsored plans. What could happen, however, is that especially with some of those smaller groups or groups just over 50, we could see some of them, if spouses and dependents start leaving the group and going to the individual market, we could see some employers struggling to meet their participation requirements with their carriers and their plans, which could cause employers to have to structure their benefit designs a little differently. Again, something that they'll be coming to you all as licensed professionals for assistance with determining what they need to do, what choices the employers need to be making on this. There's also a chance that when we're looking at the process of how all of this works, and for those of you who assist people right now going into the individual exchange and getting subsidies, you know how complicated that can be with looking at the factors of household income and how they're calculating it. It's something that even in the proposed rule in the preamble, the administration recognizes they don't have the data for some of the tax information for spouses and dependents that are on employer-sponsored plans. So they can't provide some of the tables and statistics on how much of an impact this will have, which also means that there's a lot of data that is going to need to be collected by the employers and then by the marketplace to be able to determine eligibility for these subsidies. And those requirements were not included in this rule. The preamble does reference the fact that federal and state exchanges are going to have to look at the way that they process this information, but the way that they're going to process all of that was not included here. So I do think that should this rule move forward in the case that it is not rescinded because of legal challenges or it's not overturned because of legal challenges, I do think that we're going to see future rulemaking that goes into the details of the how all of this is going to happen on the mechanics side of verifying the employer offer of coverage, not just to the employee, but to the spouses, as well as verifying exactly what that household income is. So. Where can folks learn more about this proposed rule, particularly in the coming weeks as progress is made? Well, Dan, of course, we have an article in this week's Washington Update newsletter that goes out to all of our NEHU members that goes over this, but it also has a link to the full proposed rule. It's only 35 pages, so, you know, quick read, and also links to the fact sheet and some other resources from the White House. But we will also be putting out more information as it's processed by the IRS and Treasury. We're, like I said, expecting more information and guidance from them because what was included in those 35 pages just isn't enough to be able to determine how all of this will be processed. So stay tuned here and keep an eye out on your Washington update and on the NEHU website where we'll be posting more information as it comes out from the administration. It is now time for the NHU's Healthcare Happy Hour Toast of the Week. What are we toasting to this week? This week, we're toasting to all of you for hanging in there and making it to the end of this episode. I know this is a very dense topic and can be very confusing with how we're talking about the employee and then the other spouse and dependents. So thank you so much for making it to the end. Here's to you. 
And there are also several examples included in the proposed rule that we'll have a link to in the Washington update. So if my examples with my, my dog didn't make sense to you, you can check out the examples in the proposed rule and we'll be following up with more information as we get it. Cheers. Thank you for joining us for the NAHU Healthcare Happy Hour, the official podcast of the National Association of Health Underwriters. For more information on NAHU's government affairs efforts or to become a member, visit NAHU.org.